Hello and welcome to I Don't Know The Podcast, episode 65, Wet Hot Sexy Mermaids. Mermaids are the aquatic creatures of folklore with the upper body of a human female and the tail of a fish, sometimes with scallop shells covering their boobs, sometimes not. They appear in many stories from many cultures including Europe, Asia and Africa. The legends tell of whole civilizations of watery babes fulfilling the masturbatory fantasies of early ocean-going explorers and seamen. Could there really be a race of half-fish, half-hotty humans below the waves? Or are they really just manatees? Which would be a much more difficult wank. Or maybe not, if you'd spent six months on a boat full of men with only seawater and rum to drink. I don't know. But thanks to a real documentary, Mermaids the Body Found, that I actually watched, we may find out in the most heavily researched episode of this podcast. Mermaids have appeared in popular culture for years, from Disney's The Little Mermaid to Tom Hanks's Splash. There are even mermen out there, like in the absolutely filthy movie The Shape of Water. The oldest surviving depiction of mermaids dates back to 1078 and could be found in Durham Castle. Maybe that's what parliamentary aide Dominic Cummings was looking for when he went to test his eyesight during the Covid lockdown. There is also a mermaid legend from the Cornish village of Zena. Choir singer Matthew Truella and a beautiful mermaid fell in love over their shared love of music. They eventually shacked up together at her gaff in Pendor Cove. I'm not sure how that worked out. And in Irish folklore, there's a tale of Lee Ban, a human who was turned into a mermaid and then baptised into the Christian faith, which doesn't really tell us a lot about mermaids, but it does tell us a lot about the cavalier approach to recruitment that the Christian church has. But the history means nothing for this episode, as I found a mermaid documentary called Mermaids, The Body Found. And believe me, history also means nothing to them. It's two-for-one Tuesday at Krispy Kreme. Plus, there's mermaids. I like your tail. Oh, you're sweet. I like those wiggly doodads coming out of your head. Yeah, I'm a little confused, too. How do I, you know, with the tail and all... Mermaids, The Body Found, was made in 2012 for the Discovery Channel. It's narrated by Starsky and Hutchstar and singer of Don't Give Up On Me Baby, David Soul, and it gets a 4 out of 10 on IMDb. Reviews are mostly poor. One three-word review simply says, A Steaming Pile. But that's not going to put me off. 
The documentary starts very dramatically with some shaky fake covert video. We see a beach and people in crime scene overalls carrying stuff around. As a scientist, I was never a believer in conspiracy theories. I believe Al-Qaeda was responsible for the 9-11 attacks. I believe we landed on the moon. And I believe Oswald shot JFK. No, to, to believe our government covered up these events requires proof. A conspiracy theory, like any theory, needs proof. So that's the first question I'd ask me. Where's your proof? He's a scientist, goddammit. Scientists require proof. But, luckily for us, the Discovery Channel doesn't. In 1997, scientists from NOAA recorded a sound in the Deep Pacific. It's thought to be organic in nature and has never been identified. It's called the bloop. NOAA, N-O-A-A, is the acronym for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And the bloop is a real thing. The sound rose for over a minute and was picked up on multiple sensors at a range of over 5,000 kilometers. But nobody knows what it is. In the early 2000s, it was proved that the Navy beached whales while testing sonar weapons. For years, the Navy denied that they were responsible for these beachings. These are facts. And in some of the incidents, there were reports of something else washing up with the whales. Beached whales? And something else? Now, people are always banging on about how smart whales are. But when they throw themselves onto the beach, en masse, simply because they got scared of a noise, I would question their intelligence. But I digress. What else could have washed up on the beach? In 2004, two boys were the first to arrive on a mass whale beaching in Washington State. They captured him on a cell phone. The boys claimed they saw something that day. They claim they saw a body. A body? They have some shaky footage, but I can't make anything out. And they went on record claiming they saw a body. That official record was later changed, and the Navy took the remains of what the boys found. I know this because I was part of the team investigating that beaching, and what the Navy did that day. And... I believe I know what it is that they took. Judging by the title of the documentary, I think I know what it is. I don't know why he's been so coy about it. Hopefully, David Soul can fill us in with more. Mulcliffe's Beach, Washington State, April 4th, 2004. I was living in Washington State in 2004, but not in some weird beach community where the rotting whale corpse washing up on the beach is a local celebration. No. I was living in the trendy, up-and-coming West Seattle neighborhood where we would drink craft beers and talk about how Nirvana was the worst band to come out of Seattle. Site of the largest mass whale beaching in United States history. I don't remember that. But David Soul fills us in. The scientist investigating the beachings is Dr. McCormick and he thinks the Navy is to blame with some sonar weapon. 
It takes David Soul a long time to explain this because he takes a lot of long pauses and there's atmospheric music to build up. Then we get back to the guy talking earlier. My name's Paul Robertson. I was a research assistant with Dr. McCormick, uh, working at NOAA for several years by then. An assistant? He's not even a doctor. But he describes a scene of the mass beaching, saying there was lots of suspicious guys in hazmat suits wandering around. Then we meet another not-doctor member of the team. I'm Rebecca Davis. I was a field biologist at NOAA. I was working in the Marine Mammals Division before I joined Dr. McCormick's lab in 1999. Blood was visible coming from the ears of the whales. We had never seen that before, where every whale was bleeding from the ears. I didn't even know whales had ears. This meant that they had all suffered some kind of major internal trauma. We took multiple organ tissue samples and we were going to study those under the microscope to determine cause of death. We packed up as quickly as we could, but Brian wouldn't leave. He wanted to get as many samples as he could because he wanted to know what the Navy was doing out there. Deafening whales by the sounds of it. And apparently they were. But Dr. McCormick believed the Navy was testing a new underground infrasound weapon that would kill whales outright. But they had me asking a couple of questions. One, what has the Navy got against whales? And two, for a documentary called Mermaids The Body Found, why has it all been about whales and not a single mermaid yet? Well, Brian realized that we didn't need the tissue to test our theory. We have, uh, NOAA has these arrays that record audio, uh, marine life, seismic activity. And one of these uh, boys was very close by. So we know it was likely that we had recorded the whole event. The sonar blast, the whale reactions, everything. Well, first there was the sound of the, the whale vocalizations, which we expected. And then there was what we now understand to be the priming of the sonar weapon. And, and then there was a, a moment of silence, and this proved to be the calm before the storm, because then it was bam. It was, it was pretty awful to listen to. I've heard worse. Although the beginning sounded like the brown noise and the aftermath could have been a thousand whales shitting themselves. I don't know, it's just a theory. There was another sound on the recording, uh, an animal call. And we realized that this was a bloop signature the same creature that Noah had recorded back in 1997. Uh, but in this case, uh, our recording was much longer. It was the most complex, intricate animal call I'd ever heard. And we had no idea what it made the sound. All we knew was that a creature that had only been heard once in human history had just resurfaced. It had better be a mermaid, or we're completely wasting our time here. 
The film then cuts to an even grainier bit of fake amateur footage. It shows a dark, damp basement with a metal above-ground pool in the middle. There's a small round window in the side of the pool and a camera approaches it. When it gets really close, it jump scares us with a webbed hand and a bang. I've seen the footage that was supposedly taken in Beaufort. I don't know if that particular video is real or not. It doesn't really matter. It kind of does matter. That guy is some government contractor or something. They've disguised his voice, or at least I hope they have, and he's filmed in shadow. It's no surprise that the Beaufort video was immediately branded a fake. The Navy tells us it's not real, so it's not real. Whenever a leak happens, the military has a way of using its influence to make the general public believe what they want them to believe. What I can't tell you is that I've seen a creature in the Navy's possession. We took it after the first test in Washington State. I was on the beach that day, but we weren't the first ones there. Well, the whales were there before him. And... If you were hoping for mermaid mention, you'd be disappointed because the film goes back to the whales, lumping themselves onto the beach again. But this time, it's all over the world. The US, Asia, Australia, but not Europe. Uh, So now we're following uh, beachings elsewhere. Uh, We alerted marine agencies to what we discovered with the sonar blasts. And we begin hearing about other things. Reports of bodies washing up with the whales. Rumors of something else washing up with them. And in every case, there was always authorities on hand to control the scene. But that's what authorities do. And if they hadn't, you'd have armies of Instagram twats rushing down to get a skimpy dead whale selfie, or people just scavenging the bodies. In some of these events, not only were there reports of bodies being found, but something else. These had been reported before. Not bodies, but spears. That might explain why the whales are dead. For years, deep sea fishermen all over the world have found them. Found them in fish, caught in the open ocean. German news archives contain an interview with a fisherman who had his own experience with this strange phenomenon. My name is Hans Bauer. I've been in the Hafen von Sutridge aufgewachsen. I've been a fisher my whole life. Okay, my German is not good. I could make out him saying his name and then something about fish. But. What the film showed before he started talking was some very ornate looking spears that looked like they're made of ivory. And, luckily for me, they also had subtitles for the German guy. He said they were pulling up nets and found dead fish with spears in them. He then said something else crawled out of the nets, something he believed made those spears. He took a photo apparently of it, but it doesn't really look like anything to me. Then, we go back to Dr. McCormick's assistant, who's still going on about the Navy and his recordings. Then... My name is uh, Dr. Rodney Webster. Uh, I'm currently at the University of South Florida. Uh, 
Finally, someone with some authority on the subject. I specialize in animal communications. I uh, focus mainly on the field of, uh, of cetacean uh, vocalizations, dolphins and whales. He's like an aquatic Dr. Doolittle. What's so interesting about the uh, 2004 recording is that I could identify literally hundreds of signifiers and arrange these into recognizable patterns. We had not gathered this kind of information in the previous 30 years of studying dolphins and whales. So it's just dolphins and whales then? But that wasn't all that Dr. Webster found in their recording. Oh. Uh, I noticed that there were some pitch changes in the bloop at certain parts of the recording. Uh, so I ran a spectrogram analysis of the data and uh, in the frequencies that were above the range of human hearing. And this is what I found. This is it at original speed. With the whale sounds removed. I then slowed the recording down into the range of human hearing. Here it is uh, at one third of its original speed. Sounds fishy to me. Multiple individuals, uh, literally thousands of different signifiers, at least half dozen uh, individual voice prints. So, what you see here is uh, language. They're uh, talking to one another. But who are they? What animal could possibly have a language so complex, so sophisticated? Our theory was this was a new species of dolphin, but there's another theory we should have considered sooner. The aquatic ape theory. Are you sure you should have considered that sooner? Why are we so different from other terrestrial animals? According to the theory, it's because there was a time when early humans spent much of their lives in the sea. And the traits that make us so different from other land animals are a legacy from this period. We can control our breathing like marine mammals and hold our breath longer than any other land animal. I immediately thought this sounded off. So I did a little research, and he's wrong. The sloth can hold its breath for 40 minutes. Polar bears can also hold their breath for long periods. The human record for breath holding is nearly 20 minutes. That's almost as long as a dolphin can dive. And half the time a sloth can do it. And that's just your average sloth, not some record-breaking freediver who has conditioned his body for years. Compared to our closest relatives, the apes, we have a much more flexible spine. And we have partial webbing between our fingers and toes that they don't have. The people of Norfolk have full webbing between their fingers and toes. And unlike other apes, we shed our hair. Hair creates dragon water. And we have a thick layer of insulating fat that keeps us warm in water. I've shed most of my hair. And I have an insulating layer of fat, but I wouldn't say I'm a great swimmer. But it's here that we see where most of the budget of this film went. They start a series of pieces that will chart the evolution of apes into merpeople. Some scientists believe our ancestors left the forest for the sea. But what pulled them here? What drew them to the water's edge?
was food. It is even thought our ability to walk fully upright first evolved here, wading in the shallows where food was easily found. What they showed there was a hairy caveman walking into the ocean, reaching down and picking up a fish and biting into it, which explains the existence of sushi more than anything else. Apparently, six and a half million years ago, a bunch of apes decided that land was not for them and they chose to be constantly cold and wet and eat raw fish. That was the way forward for the species, which looks like prehistoric version of Brexit to me. But after that first episode of Crazy Wet Neanderthals, we get back to the not-doctors still trying to harass the Navy. If we could prove that this was a new species being affected, we figured that this might give us leverage, that we could compel the Navy to divulge what they're doing. I have a feeling that if they went to the Navy and said, stop what you're doing, I'm a marine biologist assistant, and I think you're killing mermaids, he might not get the reaction he was hoping for. But something was also happening in South Africa. My name is Dr. Gavin Ditmar. I am the head of acoustic research at the Marine Biology Research Center at the University of Cape Town. Oh, another real doctor. We had an underwater array, uh, just about a kilometer off the tip of Cape Town. Um, and this was part of a, a research program uh, to monitor whale populations at certain times of the year. That's why we contacted Dr. McCormick. We now believed that we had found the same thing. By that, he means another bloop recording. What was different in South Africa was uh, the recording itself. Uh, here we had uh, another bloop signature, um, the same mystery creature that we had recorded. Uh, we had the same low-frequency sonic blast. I hate it when people say what was different was and then list things that were the same like the doctor's assistant just did. But here there was, there was communication, back and forth communication between our blue creatures and the dolphins, which made us think, is it a dolphin? Uh, is it uh, some new species of dolphin? And from that point on, that's what we thought we were looking for. To that point, we only had acoustic evidence, but physical evidence. That was the breakthrough that Dr. Dittmar gave us. Physical evidence? I hope so. I've watched over half an hour of this, and I've just seen talkative dolphins and cavemen going for a paddle. It's a grey white shark. It's not the shark. It's what's in the shark. It, it was a mess, uh, and it smelled pretty terrible. There were parts that looked like uh, they might have been from a dolphin, parts that look like they're from a seal, but no seal or dolphin we'd ever encountered. And there were other body parts too. Uh, we had no idea what we were looking at, but we thought, we thought right away, jackpot. Uh, this was something new. This was a new species. So they're opening up the contents of a great white shark's stomach and putting things together. I'm pretty sure I could do the same and come up with a new species of animal too. And I'm not even a marine biologist's assistant. 
there were puncture marks around the shark's uh, gills and mouth, and uh, I initially thought these might have been uh, injuries sustained when it was gaffed to the side of the boat. But I, I probed one of them, and I found a stingray barb inside. Now, this could have come from a stingray defending itself. Sharks eat stingrays. Uh, hammerheads do, tigers do. But not great whites. So I, I kept the barb. Again, I thought this was questionable, so I did some more research. I googled, do great white sharks eat stingrays? And it turns out they do eat stingrays. And not just occasionally, they eat a lot of them. I thought it might be something I could publish in a journal or something. Uh, I just thought it was interesting. Ha! You'd be a laughing stock. But then, we cut to episode 2 of Planet of the Wet Apes. They're now underwater and re they've replaced actors in monkey suits with some average CGI. After entering the sea, the aquatic apes would now be better adapted to their new world. The mer ape is in an underground cave with a spear and he's looking at fish. They've lost most of their hair and can hold the breath for minutes at a time. They are still learning how to hunt. Unexpectedly, the dolphins scatter. Shark! For now, the aquatic apes must hide. But eventually, they will learn to defend themselves against the dangers present in their new world. They've taken a lot of license with this and are making a lot of assumptions based on absolutely nothing. David Attenborough, this is not. So we leave the fish guy, and it's back to the government spook with a distorted voice who I'd completely forgotten about. The first time the weapon was tested off the coast of Washington, it was a disaster. We were caught off guard completely by the aftermath. The beach hadn't been secured. It was left wide open to anyone who passed by that morning. Those boys happened to be in the right place at the wrong time. What? The Navy didn't secure the entire Washington coastline? At first it looked like they were going to be a problem. They refused to recant their initial statement about what they saw. Finally, we convinced one of the boys' mothers that they hadn't seen what they thought they'd seen. People usually don't want any trouble when the military is involved. The mother was smart enough to make the boys change their statements. It would help the story a bit if we knew what their statement was. But we see some shitty phone camera footage and a pile of seaweed with something under it and one of the boys poking it with a stick and running away. Then, back to the assistant who's in South Africa with bones from a shark's stomach. We got the body back to the lab and the condition of the remains was poor. Um, we recovered about 30% of the body, so uh, it was going to be difficult to piece together. 
the first thing we did was to take DNA samples to try and establish the genetic makeup. Now, I'm not a DNA doctor, but I've watched enough crime shows to know that the inside of a shark is not the best place for uncontaminated DNA samples. We started by looking at the rib cage, and uh, it, it appeared to be hinged. A uh, collapsible rib cage is a feature of marine mammals who have evolved to dive. The, the tail fluke was the best preserved. And it looked a lot like a manatee's. We wondered if maybe that's what this could be, some relic population or undiscovered relative of this animal. We took an x-ray. There were bones in the tail fluke. Uh, manatees don't have that. So we're thinking, what on earth is this? So far, I'd say the shark had eaten a seal, a manatee, and a stingray. And since I've disproven two things that this guy has said, my confidence in his knowledge of marine anatomy is not great. Then we looked at the pelvis. There were remains of leg bones. Uh, seals have leg bones, but their thigh bones are short. We could tell that the ones in our specimen were long. So this thing is not a seal, it's not a manatee, and although it talks to dolphins, it's not a dolphin, it, at least not from what we're seeing. It could be all those things put together, and a whole bunch more too. The film then skips to episode three of The Merman Chronicles. It's now just four million years ago, and the apes that once lived on the land are now freely swimming around at speed, in large family groups. They have full-on fishtails, and they're hanging out and having a laugh with the dolphins. Unfortunately, there isn't a single looker amongst them. But then, it's back to the lab. So I started working on the phalanges. The what? Uh, those are the bones that support the fin or flipper structure in uh, a seal or a dolphin. Oh, okay. It was clear that these bones couldn't be configured into either of those arrangements. We found something else. Uh, this animal had been uh, affected by the, the naval sonar. I think it had been more affected by being eaten by a shark. The NOAA team was now certain. The Navy was not only affecting whales with their tests, they were also affecting a new species. The creature's physiology gave deeper insights into its behavior. Although it was damaged in the shark attack, they discovered a large spleen. Large spleens are common features to marine mammals. It stores oxygen during deep dives. It, it's like having a built-in scuba tank inside them. The only reason to have this adaptation is to dive deep, to hunt for food. My guess would be that being underwater, just about everything a shark eats will have a large spleen. Or it could have eaten an alcoholic with mononucleosis. Yes, I researched that too. Every time we found something new, a dozen more questions would pop up. Dr. McCormick invited someone else to take a look. The South Africans were taking so long getting the permitting to get the material out of the country that Bryant flew him in. My specialty is in biomechanics, how animals have adapted different means of locomotion. My name is Dr. Stephen Pearsall. Another doctor. 
when I got there, I, I thought, well, what the heck am I doing here? Because this is clearly a marine mammal. Uh, the tail looked like the tail on an animal that you find in the ocean. And it was only when we got the, uh, the remains under the scanners that I realized that this was like no tail we had ever seen before. Looking at the hip structure, Dr. Pearsall recognizes something strikingly familiar. What could it be? Uh, with humans, if you uh, look at the uh, top of your hips here, they have this high ridge. Uh, and these are called the iliac crests, and they're designed to support weight. I, I looked at this creature, uh, and it had similar crests on, it, on its hips, and, and that didn't make any sense until I realized that we were looking at these scans the wrong way. We were looking at them this way, when in fact, what we had to do is rotate them. That idiot assistant has been looking at them upside down? That is when it became clear that uh, this creature once walked on two legs. And there is only one animal that walks upright on two legs. I don't know, a bear, a kangaroo, a bird? Well, he doesn't say what it is. And if this thing once stood on two feet, we realized... Hands. They were hands. Hands? I thought they were looking at the pelvis. Becky's discovery that this, this creature had hands. The discovery that this creature once walked upright on land like us because it was one of us that changed everything so it's not a bird but it could still be a bear or a kangaroo but the assistant who can't even look at bones the right way up without having to call another doctor makes another massive leap of the imagination fisherman stories of spears found in the open ocean this is what made them we have something that makes tools this thing has figured out how to disarm a stingray, use its spine to kill fish. So they are intelligent hunters, but are they hunted? How would these creatures have evolved to survive alongside the most formidable predators in the ocean? Well, kangaroos would do okay. They're hard as fuck. But again, we catch up with the watery sea monkeys. Now just 1.6 million years ago. And not a lot has happened in that time. They certainly haven't got any better looking. If anything, they've got uglier. But the storylines have become way more intricate. A lone scout swims ahead of his pod before they make an open water crossing. The drop-offs that chasm down into dark water are feeding grounds. Whales gather here. So does the shark that preys on them. Oh no, the mer people just stand and watch as the megalodon eats their whale friend. The pod travels with young. They must be protected at all costs. What happens next is very moving. One of the better looking mer people swims out of the group 
and slashes its own chest with the rudimentary spirit it fashioned from its weird hands. This is to attract the shark and keep it busy while the families with children are able to escape. It's an incredibly selfless act and one that probably wouldn't have happened if they had been aquatic kangaroos. But the thing to remember is, it probably, almost certainly, never happened. The body was one of the most important anthropological finds. Possibly one of the most important uh, scientific discoveries in human history. Then why is this the first time I'm hearing about it? This was an intelligent toolmaker with grasping hands, evolved from a primate ancestor, one that walked upright on land like us. If this creature is part of the human family tree, how human is it? That's a lot of assumptions for someone who thinks sharks don't eat stingrays. I need a proper doctor's assessment. My name is Dr. Leanne Fisser. I'm a forensic anthropologist in the Department of Human Evolution. Yes! And she's going to look at the broken skull. I uh, reconstruct the appearance of an individual based on uh, fragments of, of skull and, and other bones. A few characteristics immediately stood out. Um, the skull had very large orbits, bigger than any fossil or modern human that I'd ever reconstructed. Um, the eyes would be quite big, and large eyes are found in animals operating in low light. The next thing I noticed was evidence of a skull ridge. Such skull crests are found in, um, in some of our relatives, but not in modern humans. Apes have them, uh, and they are also found in some of our early ancestors. Interesting. Scanning the reconstructed skull enabled Dr. Visser to map the inside of the brain cavity. She discovered that the parts which in humans correspond to sound interpretation were greatly enlarged. The opening on the frontal skull fragment was connected to an excessive series of sinus cavities. The shape and features of the skull revealed to us just how elaborate the creature's acoustic capacities really were. Okay, so it's not a kangaroo. It could still be a bear. The concave shape in the front of the skull indicated that it had a melon. Not the most medical term for the head, but what do we expect from that guy? The specialized mass of fatty tissue that enables dolphins and other whales to echolocate. It wasn't a blowhole. This wasn't used for breathing. Um, it was used to channel sound. The skull reconstruction proved it could do this that this creature could echolocate. This was the creature that had made the sound. Uh, the calls had never been identified. It could be a large pigeon that evolved hands. They walk on two legs, echolocate and make weird sounds. We now had no doubt that this was the animal that had made the bloop. Uh, this was the same animal that was on the 1997 bloop recording. This was the same animal that was on the 2004 Washington State recording and it was the same animal that was on the South African recording, the one that talked to the dolphins. What do you even say to dolphins? I've seen the trainers at SeaWorld and it just seems to be, do this and I'll give you some fish. But now we'll see how the giant pigeon slash bearfish families are doing. Now just 100,000 years ago. 
the creatures in the dolphins call to one another. Call one another to the hunt. The sardine run. Yep, it seems their conversations are mainly fish-based. They're swimming extremely fast now. If they made themselves known, they could clean up at the Olympics. They get their fish, everyone eats, and everyone looks happy. And that's where we leave them. I hope. We, we had just found a creature of fable. I mean, that, that's what we were looking at. All of us had been wanting to say it for, for days, probably weeks. But it, scientists aren't supposed to believe in fairy tales. And what we were looking at was a mermaid. Was it? You got some bones possibly from different animals, possibly upside down from a shark's stomach and a big spleen and a broken skull. And that's a mermaid. If the Beaufort footage is real, then it's not the one we took off the beach in Washington. That one was in no condition to be transported. I saw what those boys saw. I know what they reported to the Navy was accurate. How do you think people would respond if they knew we were killing an unknown species that was most likely the only surviving relative to humans? I don't know. As long as I don't come here and try and claim benefits. So I, I asked myself, how could this thing stay hidden so long? I was wondering the same thing. Then you realize that the surface of the moon has been explored more than the deep oceans. And you look at the fact that even to this day, there are still large animals being discovered. There have been two new species of whales discovered in just the past decade. These are 30 foot, 40 foot long animals that have never been seen before, never been recorded. Giant animals found for the first time ever in just the past 10 years. So yeah, it's possible. It's still possible to stay hidden. That is true, but I mean, all whales look the same to the casual observer. And, and no, that's not a whalist comment. It's true. But of course, th this animal we found had been recorded before. We have no record. We have no scientific record of them, but there's another record. We know them. We've, we've known them all along. He is, of course, talking about folklore and legends of mermaids, but... But by that same logic, their minotaurs and medusas and draculas are real and living hidden from sight. When we got back to the States, uh, we were in shock. We couldn't stay in South Africa. We had our visas revoked. And when we got back to Washington, we lodged several protests with the American and South African governments. The South Africans eventually did respond. The DNA samples that they had confiscated uh, from the university lab where they're being processed, they shared those with us. I still think there might be some kangaroo in there. Because the DNA readings that came back were so close to human DNA, the lab that did the tests claimed that they'd been contaminated with human DNA. Uh, how else? they said could the genetic profiles have been so similar they discredited the results 
and they destroy the samples. There could easily be human DNA in there. Sharks eat humans as well, and stingrays. The feeling was like something out of Orwell. It, this was Big Brother. Uh, they were rewriting history, uh, basically writing this creature out of existence. He is, of course, referring to the George Orwell book, 1984, but I doubt he's read it. It had nothing to do with mermaids at all. Are they keeping the creatures for themselves? Are they testing the creatures? We don't know. Well, we still don't know. I think I know. But despite having no DNA, no body, no idea what he's looking at, and probably no job as a marine biologist's assistant anymore, he's not giving up. We tracked down the kids that had made the original report. And the Navy had spent a lot of time with these kids. They had uh, even visited them at home. And they had convinced the kids that what they had seen was actually a seal, uh, a seal that had decomposed, and, and that's why it looked strange. The boy had drawn a picture of what he saw. Oh, great, a picture. Now, nobody outside of the scientists we worked with or the government officials that had confiscated our materials could have known what the skull reconstruction looked like. But this kid had a drawing of, of what he had seen. And it was a match. Uh, he'd seen the same thing. You'd think in a reconstruction they'd use a decent drawing. They didn't. This piece of crap wouldn't go anywhere near your fridge, no matter how much you love the kid. But it's enough for the assistant to keep looking. I mean, what else has he got to do? We were going to try to make contact. vicinity when we saw the whales. And we started the recording and we waited to see if there was anything out there. I have a feeling that no matter what turns up on that tape, he'll say it's mermaids. But as it turns out, they got nothing. And to cut a long story short, just about everyone got their asses fired. Little surprise since I know more about a shark's diet than they do, and I don't bother expensively paid doctors with chewed up bones and legends. Maybe I should. Then maybe I could get a show on Discovery Channel. Episode 65 Mermaids the Body Foul The Epilogue So, what have we learnt this week? We learnt that whales have ears. Blood was visible coming from the ears of the whales. We learnt that great white sharks definitely do eat stingrays. Google it. Now, this could have come from a stingray defending itself. Sharks eat stingrays. Uh, hammerheads do, tigers do. But not great whites. So I, I kept the barb. And we learnt that Despite being deported from South Africa and getting your ass fired and becoming a laughingstock in your chosen field, some marine biologist assistants never give up.
we were going to try to make contact. There's a lot wrong with this documentary. Not least the title. There was no body found. Not by those dumb kids with the shitty drawing or the stomach in the shark. If the marine biologist's assistant was in Jaws, he'd think that the mermaid drives a car. And yes, a lot of the ocean hasn't been explored. But to have large communities of humanoid fish hybrids around for millions of years and not find a single skeleton or a body part wash up just doesn't sit right with me. Also, I have a problem with this being on the Discovery Channel. They're becoming the Fox News of natural history. Also, I was hoping for hot, wet, sexy mermaids. And all I got was grey-skinned, ugly fish people. In a way, I hope there aren't people. And if they are, I hope they stay hidden. After all, swimming is one of the few events that Great Britain wins Olympic medals at. But also, the pronouns alone would be a nightmare. Would it be fish he, or fish she, or something else? And, if we do know that they're there, we also know that they're all shitting in our water. Thank you to our new patrons who are Todd X, Sean Watson, Mike Henry of Bandology with Mike and John, Amelia Childs of Ghost Hunting in New England, and Jamie Miller of Surf City Bake Shop Huntington Beach. Also, thanks to our graphic designer, Raymond Rowell of Project Raven Creative. Thanks for listening and tune in again to find out what else I don't know. Sunday.